Hey all, so hoping everybody's doing well. It's a Tuesday morning. It is 8.20 a.m. Um, I'm actually having a break from the altitude tent. So um, part of the part of the strategy will, will basically be um, to, you know, get as much possible exposure. Let me close that because... I see the wee workers are back and they they bang away. Bang bang bang. Anyway, part of the part of the protocol is generally to get as much exposure as I can possibly get. Um and I think the only rest I I will explain about an altitude tent in a minute. I feel like I've just gone into one there and not even said anything. Um the only um the only rest bite you could say um will be like this time in the morning before I go train. And I do actually I'll go check that while we're on the podcast. Um I do think it takes a little bit of time for your <laughs> I've been trying to monitor as much as I can. First and foremost because I'm a bit of a geek. Um the other reason I've been trying to monitor certain things is to learn what sort of protocol might work i it's very important when you're at altitude or in an altitude tent that it's obviously continuous exposure and so by continuous exposure let me just turn the fan off by continuous exposure i mean that's really simple and you have to stay in the tent continuously right so that's obviously very easy to understand um, you can't just get out all the time. You can't just like you know bugger off to your parents for an hour. Um, now I'm trying to figure out how continuous that needs to be. So I a couple of things when you open the tent, um, oxygen will come in. But what I'm sort of realizing is when the tent's full of oxygen. Or like, sorry, full of. I think the the altitude generator actually pumps nitrogen in, which means, like at altitude, there's more nitrogen in the air than there is oxygen. So there's twenty point nine percent oxygen in the air in everyday life. If you saturate an area with more nitrogen, well, then the oxygen levels go from you know obviously twenty point nine to lower. I think I've got a drip. Oh, dude, isn't that not just the most annoying thing in the world? Well, I thought I would let you listen to my drip, but I was I was finding it hard. My brain is on a strange old level that I need to go turn that drip off before I can finish the podcast. Anyway, here we are. I'm back. Um, so, look. I was explaining a little bit about how an altitude generator works. If you want to know more about how an altitude generator works, just search altitude generator and they'll explain it way, way better than I ever could. Um, so basically, look, what I've been doing is testing things like um, oxygen in the air. So at the minute if I turned the machine on, it would say um, that there's 20.9% because there's no altitude being pumped in. And what I'm also checking then is oxygen saturation in the body. Um, and so your oxygen saturation, you order 
it's just called a pulse oximeter. Um, it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of a waste of time unless you're doing something like this. And I'm only talking from a professional running standpoint. I think if you got COVID, your oxygen saturation actually went down. But so here's an example here of this is kind of what I'm talking about. Like I woke up, I've had a coffee, I've been awake 20 minutes and my saturation is still 95 now this morning it was 90 and that's because i i put the tent pretty high like i've obviously been at altitude for quite a number of years and um look if i'm honest like you can probably get steel sitting at the same altitude as well like always being at six thousand feet in font or always being at seven thousand feet in um flagstaff and so when i spoke to mo and this is not me trying to like you know show off that I speak to Mo but like Mo would be pretty experienced at altitude and you know I asked him you know how high would different people set their tents or you know how high would his tent have been and and, and let's just say it was a lot higher um than five six thousand or seven thousand feet um in fact there's athletes known to travel to altitude with an altitude generator so that they can sleep higher which you know kind of blew my mind but that's the sport so um what i just learned there now is that 25 minutes after being out of the tent if your saturation is still not up to 98 percent what you're learning is it does buy you a little bit of time before you like if you've been in the tent for like obviously i've just been in the tent from nine o'clock last night until um eight o'clock this morning you're looking at 11 hours, 11 hours of continuous exposure. It looks like your saturation, I mean, I'll find out, I'll, I'll check it again in like, at like nine. Um, it looks like your saturation doesn't, basically what I'm saying is, and you probably have already got there, but I'll, I'll explain it anyway. If you leave the tent to, you know, make a coffee, have a shower, whatever, it looks like your saturation isn't going to shoot straight back up if you've been in the tent for a continuous exposure. Now, I could do more research, like, you know, if I've only been in the tent for an hour, can I just jump out and leave? If I've only been in the tent for, um, you know, two hours, can I still get out and have 25 minutes? But you'd imagine the longer you've been in, the longer it takes. And I, I, I'd experienced that before because I've left places like St. Moritz, um, Fontremeau and been traveling down and on a plane and and by the time we'd get down the mountain on the um, train from St. Moritz you know that saturation still might not be 98% and I guess I wasn't sure if it was as simple as leave tent breathe in 20.9% oxygen saturation within you know a minute is back to um, but it just shows you so the reason I keep talking about saturation is because that's kind of what you're looking for. Like you're looking to bring your um, oxygen saturation levels down. And by bringing them down, um, your body naturally produces EPO, which as everybody knows is, you know, a performance enhancing drug. But if your body's producing it naturally, I mean, you could, you could probably draw the line a little bit at naturally, if I'm honest, because... I have a fucking altitude tent in my living room. <laughs> like, doesn't feel very natural. Um, but look, that's another argument. Um, as it stands, altitude tents are very, very well known. They're very, 
very much used all the time. Hypoxic training is used all the time. Hypoxic tense. Um, and hypoxic is just a fancy word for altitude. There you go. It's up to 96 right now. But basically, it's a natural way, as they see it, um, to generate um, more red blood cells, more hemoglobin mass. But the And the big but is you have to spend... Prob- I've never had it tested, which is kind of frustrating. Um, but you're looking at probably having to spend... Personally, I think if you're not doing 10 hours overnight in a tent... Hang on, did just drink a bit of my coffee? Personally, I think you need to be getting 10 hours overnight. Um, and then there's different benefits. So if you read the literature... It basically says 12 to 16 hours will potentially give you a bit of a blood boost, you could say, where your hemoglobin will get more thicker, more quantity, etc., etc. Um, if you do 10 hours, 10 to 12, there's other advantages, which are like, can be linked to like breathing, can be linked to respiratory. Um, there's benefits there. The third benefit for me personally um, is one of the one of the big things that I wanted to work on at home, which I feel like I shared this already, um, was just spending a bit more time indoors. So I have a habit of going training at 10 a.m. and getting back at, you know, well, sorry, being finished at 12 noon, but by the time I go um to see my parents then i go for lunch at general merchants and and then i you know go to forestside to collect something from argos and and then i go and and do something else and before i know it it's like 4 p.m and i left the house at 10 to go to the mary peter track mary peter's track sorry training and at 4 p.m i'm just getting back to the house and it's not it's not ideal um it's basically just not ideal because you're really not spending enough time or I suppose a sufficient amount of time um, like resting, I guess you could say. And that's kind of time that you can really... So yesterday, I... Yesterday's a... I, I don't love Mondays. So I have physio early on a Monday, like nine o'clock. And so I always struggle to get up early enough to want to do a run and enjoy that run and then because i'm not just going to rush out the door at like like i don't know like seven i wake up at like seven and like seven's already ridiculous because how am i going to get 11 to 12 hours in an altitude tent and get up at seven you can see the dilemmas here so monday's a tough day for me so i leave the altitude tent at eight o'clock which is roughly what i normally do and that's like 11 hours 9 p.m to 8 a.m um i go get physio i come back i build the altitude tent in the living room i at around one i start pumping altitude into it like with the generator i go for a run when i come back from a 10 mile run it's pretty much full so like i can see that the oxygen level is at a good level it takes a right wee while to totally fill these up and get them at the right place um that's probably like 90 minutes so you're i'll get on to that so then what i do is i make some lunch and then from about 2 30 i stay in the altitude tent until six 
and I have everything in here. You know, I, I have the Normatex in here. I, I have my phone. So I was speaking to the psychologist on the phone. I was watching Thor. I have like stuff to hydrate, which Jesus, that reminds me. Come on, Steve-O. Hang on. I'm not very good at hydrating in the mornings. And that's another thing, the altitude tent. It's not great for the old hydration levels, if I'm honest. Um, Because you do sweat a bit more. But yeah, I have everything in here. So I spend from like half two um, until probably like six o'clock. And this is the third benefit. I sort of forgot why I was telling you all this. The third benefit for me personally, because I think it has to be continuous exposure. And I don't, I'm not a... You know, I'm not a sports scientist. I did study some sports science, but like I certainly didn't go in depth. And I don't know that many people have, to tell you the truth. But I think the real benefit of altitude training, there's different studies being done, right? There's another study was done that was like between two hours and five hours, but make the altitude much, much higher. And so that's kind of, I'm kind of going to hit my body in like a double hit, I suppose you could say, whereby overnight I'll sleep for, you know, 10 to 12 hours. And then during the day, probably from, you're probably going to look at like from one o'clock until five or from 12 o'clock until four, I'm going to try to get a three to four hour stint where I'm back in this tent in the living room, maybe watching TV. I can even have a nap in here, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, And even though that was shown, that was pro- proved, that that proved to show some benefit. Um, the benefit I'm actually looking for is f- to find it easier to get to race with. And so if I'm sitting in the tent versus, okay, sorry, you can see the combination of benefits because it's going to help, it boosts metabolism, you know, your heart rate will be slightly higher. Yesterday when I was speaking to Gary, the psychologist on the phone, I was out of breath just chatting on the phone because the altitude's probably at like 9,000 feet maybe. Um, and the reason I say maybe is because the machine hasn't been calibrated in a while and I don't totally trust the oxygen reader. Like, it is doing a fabulous job and it does go, when I, when I, when I stand outside with it or like in the apartment, it is 20.9, which is a good start. Um, and then it's given readings of about 15. Um, when I have it now, I'm using the, I rather than using the generator because I think because it hasn't been calibrated in a while, I think it's a bit off. I'm using the oxygen reader. And so I guess that's why I'm saying, I think it's about there, but between the oxygen reader and the oxygen saturation reader pulse oximeter for my finger. Look, it's in a pretty decent place. And I'll, I'll try not to let that saturation go below like probably like 88. That's probably when it starts to like take the piss a bit. But actually, does it matter if it's 9,000 feet, 10,000 feet, you know, 7, 12? It's irrelevant. If the oxygen saturation is in a pretty good place, I think between 88 and 92 roughly or 88 and 94 maybe everyone's body's different is when you're gonna create some kind of like um stimulus um and that's that whole epo thing type job um but at the end of the day in terms of keeping your heart rate a bit higher your metabolism up a little bit more you know it's very hard to go wrong so long as there's some altitude then those side of things are going to improve so i'm I'm actually out of breath just talking 
But as you can see, there is quite a lot for me personally. I, I need to have another drink of coffee because time's, time's wearing on here. But like I said, as you can see for me, there is quite a lot of um, advantages because, you know, you are thinking that you should be in the house rather than, you know, out. And I'm not saying you should be like a home bird or like you should just always be planning on being in the house or anything like that. Um, but it certainly does help when you're running probably the best part of 110 to 120 mile a week right now. Um, trying to bike a little bit more again because I'm just, I'm curious if that's why last year I was able to sustain slightly higher heart rates um, while running. You know, there could be there could be a power element to that. There could it could have just been fitness. Remember, I was doing maybe six by a mile in the morning at sort of like ten k effort, like a like a tough session, and then I'd come home, and then that afternoon I would do um, like a FTP session on the bike. I'd go on Zwift, and you know the the session that day might be eight times three minutes with thirty seconds recovery, and and I would just do that, you know, or or it might have been like an anaerobic type session on the bike and and obviously because that you know program and app swift sort of does a test that helps you work out your certain levels and stuff um it was right at my sort of like threshold level or whatever um and it and it pre-programs it all for you so um yeah there's and then obviously i was racing the cycling ireland races and there's no you probably can't quantify perhaps the the benefit that the likes of those races would have had i mean i was i was really working when i was doing those races like i took myself to serious serious levels of fatigue um but then i then my body usually bounced back quite quick so um wednesday and saturday is going to be my two cycling days and potentially sunday evening if i fancy it but more than likely just Wednesday and Saturday. Um, and that, and that's kind of being smart too because back during lockdown, I was only running like 60 mile a week, 50, 60 mile a week. So it was kind of okay to bike most days. Whereas the, the body, if you're going to take it to 120 mile a week, starting to think that you can bike most days might be a little bit, um, just a little bit arrogant. Um, and that that's not what I want. I don't want to, get a little bit arrogant and a little bit ahead of myself and then find out that I end up with a bit of an injury because my body can't handle biking every day and 120 mile a week, which is probably more likely the case, um, especially when I like I like to do sessions on the bike. I don't like to just ride easy. Um, so yeah, like that's that's another, that like if anyone's seen on social media yesterday, that's, that's in the tent. Um, and again, so I'll be doing that at altitude. So like that'll probably be an afternoon thing whereby um, I'll get my run done. Um, you know, I'll be relaxing in the tent for maybe two or three hours, and then around about three p.m. or four p.m., then I'll probably jump on the bike, do a bike session, and then that'll get me up to that third or fourth hour, and then I can go shower and take my time. But look, it's all. If you haven't gathered by now, I'm. And the word's probably like desperate to to build a system in place in my home town like Belfast that you know I feel is is really conducive to um 
you know being a successful runner and and at the end of the day like I, it's not it's not little league for me anymore it, it's not I'm not trying to this is not me getting like soppy but like if people give me a shitty old time for you know oh like not finishing the olympics or you know someone someone gave me a shitty old time about like you know just make sure you finish at boston and and i feel like if at this point you don't understand that i'm not just trying to finish these races like and i'm not going to say it's easy to just finish races but like for me it is i i could i could run fucking a marathon every day of the week and to be to be quite honest the level of athlete you're talking about the level of athlete that i've got to i could probably run in seven days i'm pretty sure every other day in fact in seven days i could break 220 every single day of the week that's the level and you might think that's really arrogant or really rude or really but that's the level that i'm at that's how efficient my body is I go and run at 5.20 pace and it's 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 just like an all-day pace. I think my heart rate's like 150, maybe. Maybe 150, 150 to 155. And don't get me wrong, it would hurt a lot by probably day three or four. But I could do it. And so when you have people... But that's not what I'm trying to do. The reason I say this is not Little League for me anymore is because the whole... The only reason we all run... To someone listening, that's the equivalent to 240 every day. To someone else listening, that's 320. You know, for somebody else listening that might just be a beginner runner, that might be running a 5K every day, running a 10K. I've been a a runner now. I've been a professional for six years, maybe. Um, I think I've been a runner for, it's well over 20 now. So, like, when people sort of be quite disrespectful and say, like, you know, oh, could you not have just finished? it it's it goes against like science if you if you go to the the only way i can put you in the position that i was in is to find the hottest day the next time it's really hot and really humid and um, which which belfast or dublin or or england they're they're not even going to get close to the you know the kind of weather that we were experiencing in tokyo but let's say it's not even hot which is another big sort of like issue if you look at the likes of the other irish folks who come in at like 220 and they're not much slower than me on paper in terms of pbs very very close so you know but if you go off 10 minutes quicker so i my first couple of mile you know garmin wasn't really working heart rate monitor wasn't working so i just went with a pace that i thought felt at the time about right i'm going to say the heart rate wasn't working the reason i thought the pace was right was because my heart rate was low um but essentially sprint off at probably 10k effort for about three or four mile and then finish it off so go to your park you're going to run 26.2 miles but you're going to run the first three to four mile at 10k pace and then finish it off and that's Look, the reason I'm saying this isn't Little League anymore is because why I'm sitting in a fucking tent in my living room, why there's a bike there, why there's an air purifier there, why there's a pair of Normatex, why there's a fan, why there's an oxygen reader, why there's a pulse oxometer and a fucking altitude generator sitting staring me down is because 
when I realize that the effort that I'm talking about, I'm I'm saying, well, boo-hoo, you know, feel sorry for me. Like, why don't you go try to do it, run a 10K effort? The reason we're here, the reason that bike's there, the reason I'm sitting in altitude tent is because I need that effort to become marathon effort. It's that simple. So I need my system, whatever system I have in place, altitude tents, good training, good coaching, good focus, good nutrition. I need all that to come together and and make sure that the next time I stand on that start line and the next time that gun goes and it might be fucking hot and it might be cold, I, I, I don't know what it's going to be. You find out when you get there. I need that effort to be marathon effort, just like it was for those guys that ended up, you know, finishing that race off and, and being successful. And I was I was actually saying this to a friend about, there's a couple of things I want you to understand. About, about a year ago, things changed for me quite significantly. So a year ago, I run 61.08 and I run 209 for a marathon. Really tough day. I don't think it would be delusional to think it could have been two oh eight something at a at a at a faster course with fans, not you know eight Celsius and and rain and and wind and things like this. I think it was like fifteen mile an hour wind. Um, look, I don't think that's delusional, but this is what changes. Okay, it used to be, and you guys. You guys are actually probably in the same position. Most people listening. Okay, let me take a step back. It used to be that I went to the track, okay? And if I had to do 10 times 1 kilometer, I ran the kilometers at an effort that I felt I could achieve, okay? Let me have a coffee. So you've gone to the track. You've done your first K. You decided that, I think I can run about 255 today. You run a 255, you take recovery, you go again, okay? And if you're lucky, you do them all at 255. If you feel good, you maybe speed a few up. If you struggle a bit at the end, you struggle a bit at the end. A year ago, when I ran 6108 and 209, it changed that I started training basically... Spending time around Mo and, and Gary Locke and Gary Locke's Paula, Paula Radcliffe's husband. Um, just, just spending time around these guys. You realize that they don't think in that mindset. They don't think, what what am I capable of doing today? They think, what speed do I have to be able to handle today? Or at least in the near future to be competitive in the next race. It's like it's like pre-written, okay? So at Boston, for example, at Boston, there will come a point of the race in the marathon that people within that race in the elite field will be running 430-something per mile, maybe even faster, maybe 420-something, okay? That means a 5K portion of that race will be between 14 minutes and 14.20. That's... That's almost a fact. Happens every year. The race is running along. There's no pacers. It's a pretty, you know, usually a pretty standard pace. And then at some point, someone goes, see ya, 430 something per mile. 
So that means during training, over the next lot of weeks, my brain will naturally think to itself, okay, five minutes per mile is great. You know, five minutes per mile is a, is a 211 or a 212 marathon. That's awesome. That's really, really good. But actually, there's probably right now um, a Kenyan, an Ethiopian, um, uh, an Eritrean, a Ugandan. There's probably a, one of these athletes that's going to race me at Boston. He's probably at 8,000 feet of altitude or 7,000 feet of altitude. And he's probably running the last 5K of a session today at 430-something per mile at altitude. So that's where it changed for me. It moved to a place where you were perhaps going to try things in training and to get to that next level, to, to push the body to a place that it's never been to before and the mind psychologically to believe you can do it. Um, you, were, you were at some point in your career going to feel. It's that simple. Like you're, you're, not, you're no longer trying to just finish. If I went in the next seven days and ran 2.19.30, 2.19.40, I'd get a lot of this, what is it, Strava, kudos, 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 holy fuck, Scully ran seven marathons in seven days under 2.20. But it's not enough. It's not, that's not what it's about. That's the, that's jack of all trades. That's a guy that, yes, that's really fucking special and that's really impressive but it's kind of that idea of you know pretty good at pretty good at something master of nothing you know and and that's not what it's about like what it's about for me is it it still seems to be what it's about for me is finding finding that system that just creates obviously i got close to it last year there's no doubt about it i think that day of larn was it'll always haunt me <laughs> because that was the day that it felt Honestly, I wanted to scream at James around mile eight. Can you just kind of just do two laps and run, you know, a full marathon that day? Um, but look, there, you've seen it, you've felt it. You can track back and think to yourself, was it, you know, I was in the altitude tent during lockdown all of May, I believe. And then obviously I went to Font And so you can think to yourself, was it the bike? Was it altitude? Was it training with Mo and Gary? Um, but then, of course, you need to look at the the individual training that you did with those guys because if you've done some of that stuff before, hard long runs, you know, hard track sessions, well, you know, chances are maybe it was just a case of everything combined. Um, but that's what you're trying to find. You're trying to find a system that is conducive to you and it creates the optimum athlete which then you take that optimum athlete that well-trained optimum athlete to the start line and and hopefully you create something really special and it doesn't mean when i say i think i can run 206 or 207 for a marathon like it's not what i'm saying is at the pace that you're required to run 206 which is around about 450 per mile, I know I feel comfortable enough that it's likely at some point in my career I could handle 26 miles at that pace. It could literally be one day. It doesn't mean I think I'm that athlete week after week, day after day. 
I'm also not a 2-9 athlete week after week, day after day. As I've just found out, I'm probably more likely a 2-12 to 2-13 athlete every week. But as I've also just found out, <laughs> um, now that I'm doing some like longer like volume and training and, and longer sessions and um, the coach that's helping me said, you know, it'll be interesting how you handle a, a long session next week. And and I was like, well, you know, like was that 15 mile session that we did last week not long? And and apparently not. So um, I think my response was, I don't think I've ever trained for a marathon. So look, lots to learn. I'm still trying to find the system that creates, like I said, that optimum fitness but look, it's it's all fun. It's it's all a journey. Um, I guess I've ignored it, but there was another dramatic end into my night out on Friday. But as I've as I've come to realize, and I don't I don't analyze anymore. I used to I used to be very analytical after these nights out. And why did you say that? Why did you? But that would be like waking up after nights out at university and wondering why you text an ex girlfriend or wondering why. For every up, and there's some incredible ups in this world, and there's some incredibly good times, incredibly fun times, but just remember, for every up, there's a down, and it's hard to control what you'll feel exactly during that down, and and that's just what happens to me after some of those big nights out. It's something I've not... Sorry about that. It's something that I've not um, like experienced that much. Um, you're, you're looking at... I think it was my first, probably my second, if you if you include the one before the Olympics, um, four weeks or so before the Olympics, it's probably my second night where I've been in a bar like this entire year, and and so to say that you know, like at the end of that night, what my psychiatrist said to me was like, you know, just just be careful with making decisions. Which is which is okay in hindsight, it's easy. Um, but he's like, don't don't. You, you, he said it's. I he basically, wow, get the words out there. He basically said, I think we'll both agree that if you have an important decision to make, you should be in a good headspace. Okay, and that's really hard to disagree with. Okay, that's a that's a perfectly reasonable um, statement. And so, there's a couple of things linked to that. I, I had just stopped taking, you know, the antidepressant medication. That made Antrim pretty tough for me because I'm I'm literally I, I I have like exchanges with the psychiatrist and um sorry, the psychologist the week of um Antrim and, and obviously I spoke to Jackie from Athletics Northern Ireland where, you know, I'm I'm telling them like the withdrawals the the withdrawals were pretty bad. It was making me. Um, I think I told you guys this on the podcast. You know, it 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 made me a bit angrier than I've normally been. Um, it it, it was making me a bit more agitated than I would normally be, and a part of me kind of liked that, of course, because it meant I felt like I was getting that little bit of fight back, like that little bit of dog fighter, I suppose you could say. Um, but also it made it really tough. Um, I I could also tell you that three days before Larn on the Thursday, I'm standing having an altercation with a gentleman outside the house of the property that he was trying to rent me, you know, off Airbnb that, that was the wrong property. 
um, I could see the property that was listed on Airbnb and, and that I thought I'd signed a lease for. And and to be perfectly honest, he was doing his best to, you know, try to upset me, to try to wind me up, to, you know, kind of call me stupid. And are you sure you're even Stephen Scullion? And um, he had hired, a, it was, I think it was just his friend. He had brought a friend along and they were laughing with each other and, and you know, having a merry old time. And, and I just felt stupid. I felt like I was being... Um, taken advantage of a little bit because I can't really react to situations like this and I have to um, but when you're 10 days in the and I'd already explained this to the gentleman the day before that I didn't want to go meet him because I knew being 10 days into just coming off the, this medication that it, it probably wasn't the right time for me to go to a situation me going to Lauren two weeks off the medication I'm a professional, this is what I do, my experience will get me through it. Me going to a situation like this with a gentleman who's, you know, persistently trying to wind me up, who has my £4,000 in his bank account, um, much, much different. Um, and I'm actually still dealing with that situation because I reacted, you know, in a in a way that was probably inappropriate. And I, I you know, said some things and um, swore and spoke loudly and, um, at one point, I got quite close to the gentleman. I didn't, I didn't physically contact or anything like that. But and when he told me to, you know, step back, I did step back. But essentially, he's now launched a verbal assault um, charge against me. And and if it's between us, I think there's just, uh, I think his ego's just been damaged quite a lot. That he realizes I signed a contract for the property that I'd seen online. And because he had people renting that property online, you know, he tried to double dip, you could say, and get me to go into a different property and and I refused. And so his ego is a bit hurt. And I can tell you the verbal assault was much, much less. It was spoken tongue in cheek in terms of this is how I would love to deal with this situation. But of course I won't because I, you know, I'd get in trouble or I'd go to jail or something silly like that. And um, and so to tell you the truth, I'm still having to deal with that. And it's not nice. It's not great. It adds stress. Um, and, and it's stress that you just don't need in your life. So, um, yeah, there's there's always, I mean, life, life always throws curveballs your way. I still don't have that refund. I don't know at what point that becomes theft. Um, but I do know Sunday afternoon when I finish my 21 miles, I, I have to go to, you know, a, a police station in Belfast and, and, and give statements and, and be almost interrogated to see, I, I, I feel like the police were trying to interrogate a bit to see if I would get angry or, or to feel, to see if I would react. But, you know, of course I didn't. So, um, look, it's, it's tough. This is, that's a, a bit of that's life. That's a bit of life and experience that I, I haven't really had to deal with before. And, um, I'm sitting there in this room thinking like, I actually said to the police officers, I was like, I was at a football game yesterday in Belfast where I didn't know speaking like, I don't know if you speak loudly and you're angry and you, you know, you <laughs> suggest like, I tried to tell the police officer that I, I'd turn around to my friend and say, if you don't get out of the way, I'm going to hit you a kick in the head. But it doesn't mean I'm actually going to hit my friend a kick in the head. Or even if it wasn't a friend, road rage on that football pitch. 10 of the 20 players or 22 
at one point threatened either the ref, the left back, the right winger, etc., etc. It, it's it's language, you know, and um, and I have to say they did agree with me a bit, but uh, apparently the landlord um, felt scared and felt under fear, and I find that very hard to believe when about five minutes three minutes later he was still trying to offer me this property and he was still laughing with his friend and so like i said i think it's just a case of a damaged ego um but but it's put me in a, in a in a pretty shitty place and i wake up most days and check if the refund's in or i wake up most days and and wonder am i in trouble i had a bloody dream last night that i was going to jail so it, it doesn't help it, it certainly doesn't help and and i one thing i'm going to say guys is you bring a lot of this stress on yourself. There has to be an accountability element, you know. Like if you know certain things make you stressed or, or you know you're vulnerable in certain situations. And I'd already explained to this gentleman that I was just off the medication, that the whole situation itself was causing me a lot of anxiety and stress. And, and I kind of pleaded with him almost that could we not just get to a fair resolution before meeting up because I didn't think meeting up was a good idea for me because I had already had a tough week. I already knew I was a lot more agitated than normal. I knew it wouldn't take much for me to basically just say something I'd regret or worst case scenario, um, he might have done something or um, but you you just don't know. So um, and, and there it is. So I feel like this gentleman probably took advantage of that and it's probably why he was recording things in his pocket and, and things like this and um, but look, you, I put myself there. I didn't have to go. There's lessons in everything we do, and um, and that's what you have to remember. So remember, guys, everything. If you're having a stressful week, write the things down that are stressing you, and try to figure out how many of them you you. And I'm not being mean, but how many of them you brought upon yourself? You know, you're stressed about. If I had a really stressful week, and it's because I had a puppy running around my apartment, but I bought that puppy, well, that would be my fault. If I had a really stressful week because, you know, the girl I was dating caused me a lot of stress, that's my fault, right? And and so you, 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 and sometimes we invite stress into our lives. And my big aim now, I hope, is to try to remove a lot of that stress and, you know, have a, a clean four weeks to Boston where it's just training. No other stress, no other things going on in life that, um, you know, could potentially cause stress and um yeah and, and that's all so maybe i shared a bit too much today but look that's always what the podcast been about i don't think i'm a bad person I, I certainly don't think i'm a criminal um i think it was very sad and unfair that i was that i was even in a bloody police station and um you know they even they even asked me that i want to get a solicitor and things like this and i thought like wow like is it really there like i, <laughs> I had no idea so I don't know that might be something I have to consider um but yeah it's not ideal but look I appreciate all you guys listening and you know take care Scully